Good morning. I want to um, start off a little bit. I wanted to share something this morning before I get into the message for this morning, and that is on the topic of marriage. Um, last week, we had a guest speaker here, um, Chip Hard spoke, and he spoke on the topic of marriage. Um, he was a brave man to enter into the topic on marriage with um, one sermon, and he also he had a lot of other things to share in the message. And I was, um, two things came to my mind. One, he referred to some marriage small groups that are going to be starting up here at the church. And I wanted to expand on that just a little bit. But I also, there was, and I'm sure a lot of it had to do with the time that was available. There were a couple things that I felt at the end that I really wanted to convey on the topic of marriage to our church family. And one of them is that we as a church, you know, we hold the, the covenant relationship that people enter into as a man, as a husband, a wife, very highly at Riverstone Church. And whether it's through our premarital counseling, our marriage counseling, the services we perform, and hopefully coming alongside of marriages all year long, that's an important part of life on this earth and in church ministry because God has established marriage to be a covenant relationship between one man and one woman. And we hold that um, very highly. And in these, um, this material that we're using for these marriage small groups that are coming up, really puts the focus, and this is what I was, um, last week I really wanted to emphasize um, as I was listening, that really the key to a marriage is not what we put into it. The key to marriage, to have a strong, healthy marriage, is Jesus Christ. And as you think about it, and I always say this, when I do weddings, um, a lot, I usually will say that a Christian marriage is unlike any other, because in a Christian marriage, it's a covenant relationship made before God, where you have one very sinful man and one very sinful woman. I'm including myself in that. And all of a sudden you say, okay, now become one. Well, guess what? Sparks fly because we're very selfish, aren't we? And the key to this is it's not anything that we bring into the relationship in and of ourselves, but it's Jesus Christ is the glue to make oneness in a marriage relationship. And I, I wanted to just say today, I think um, it was hard for, I know for Chip, because he didn't have that much time, but in marriages, a lot of us experience things differently. Um, I praise God, I just um, celebrated, Jan and I celebrated 30 years just a couple months ago, and not that we're experts, but you know, the reality is, in marriages, we have joys, we have trials, we have ups, we have downs, and Christ is the key to those relationships. And what I wanted to um, share is like, that oneness when you try to become one, um, there's some things that we can say that are helpful. Communicate better. Forgive one another. But the reality is, we can't just say, try harder. It's Jesus Christ is the key to all of this. Because in and of ourselves, we can't try harder. We can learn things that will help us. And that's why I like this, um, the material that the groups that are forming on marriage are using. It's called Marriage Matters. really puts Christ at the center. And you're going to be seeing in the coming months, I think it's October when the groups are going to be starting up for the first time in the fall. Um, there's going to be an opportunity to sign up for them at our, we're going to have a, a, um, it's a connection time for small groups on August 25th outside on the sidewalk. But you'll be seeing things announced about these groups. So I want to encourage you, I think all of us need at some point in time and probably pretty regularly to get some outside help with marriage. Um, it, it's, there's troubles, there's, there's trials, there's differences, we're different, we, you know, and thankfully God made us differently. But, you know, one of the things I see is some of us just could use something like this to strengthen our marriage in a small group context. Others, you know, you might be in a marriage relationship and maybe, you know, your spouse has, has left you. They say they no longer want to be married. Maybe you're in a marriage relationship where you're being abused. Uh, maybe your spouse has been sexually unfaithful. And you're at a place where you really need some help. And what I want to encourage you to do is come and talk to us. We would love to help you wherever you are in those marriage relationships. Because sometimes a small group can help. Sometimes it's going to take something more than that. And the answer is not to say try harder. The answer is get some help. And we're here to help. And we would love to hear from you because we value the marriage relationship. So I just wanted to touch on that because it's such an important part of the Christian life, and we're, we're intentionally doing some things to help strengthen marriages here at Riverstone Church. 
And I'm going to transition now, and before we get into this morning's sermon, I may look a little bit darker up here today. That's because it sounds like, from what I've heard, um, our light box took a lightning hit this past week. So the spotlights are not working, and you notice there's no color in the back in, in some areas. So um, apparently something happened this past week. So as I'm looking down at my notes and my Bible, they're a little bit darker than usual today, too. But um, before I get into the message, let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can gather together as a church body, that we can come, we can open up your word. And Father, I'm going to pray. Today's message is different than what we normally have at Riverstone. Um, It's a a message on, on the mission, on the vision of the church. And I pray that you would guide me in the words that I use and how I share. I pray that you would open up the hearts of our people to, Lord, to, to ask, what is it that you want from us? What it, where is it that you see us going as a church? How, Lord, can we be faithful to you as we live out being the body of Christ in this broken world? Father, guide us and give us your wisdom. And I pray that as we read your word this morning, Father, that you would open our eyes and our hearts, give us understanding, help us to know you better through the time we spend in your word. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if um, I mentioned in that prayer that today's going to be a little bit different, the message is not going to be our typical kind of message at Riverstone. I'm preaching today of week one of a three-week mini-series on really the, the vision, a vision message for where our church is going. Um, normally, if you're a guest here, we like to go through books of the Bible in an expository manner. Um, we're taking a break from the Gospel of Mark as we do this mini-series, and um, we'll be picking up again in, in the Gospel of Mark in August. But I think it's healthy every few years for a church to step back and look at the vision of where God is calling us to go. And it's great for us as pastors and elders to get together and and formulate that vision, develop where we believe God is going, to develop ministry plans. But if we keep it all to ourselves, shame on us. So this is my opportunity to really start to share a little bit of a vision message on where we believe God is calling us to go. If you look behind me on these banners, you'll see our mission statement, which hopefully most of you are familiar with, that says, our mission as a church is advancing the gospel by making disciples who make disciples. Now, that vision, that mission statement, and hopefully the the ministry that we accomplish and the ministry that we carry on here at Riverstone Church is coming right from the Word of God. I can remember back when we formulated that mission statement for the first time and the Great Commission, um, then in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and in Colossians 1, 28 and 29, those are some of the passages that we use to form this mission statement. And we believe it's coming right from God for what he wants the church to accomplish. You can go from one church to another, and a lot of churches have mission statements. Hopefully, The mission statements don't vary too much from one church to another that takes the word of God seriously because God is the one who set out to say, this is what I want the church to do. Now, I will say, though, that our emphasis and our ministries along the way better change as we move from one phase of church life and ministry to another because God wants us to look and say, at all times, how can we better accomplish the mission that God has called us to. And as a leadership, what we are identifying is, and I know for myself personally, I've been here 11 years at Riverstone Church. And looking back, and we've been talking about this with our leadership, we can identify really two distinct phases of ministry in that 11-year period of time. And I'm I'm gonna share those with you this morning, but the key is that we believe that God is clearly calling us to enter into a new phase of ministry at Riverstone Church. And in the coming months, we'll be sharing that with you. But as we look at these different phases of ministry, I think it's important to recognize that as, as a church, what I would just back up a moment, I really believe that we just about six to 12 months ago came out of a significant phase of ministry at the church. And a lot of that had to do, we made some major expansion things here, and we all remember that was time-consuming, and the, the construction projects, the moves back and forth with Cairn, some other things that I'm going to identify. But I think we came out of that phase about six to 12 months ago. 
And I want to say that as we look at these phases backwards and then looking forward, that they were not accidental, they were not arbitrary, they were intentionally prayed over, developed, as we as leaders said, where is it that we believe God is leading us so that we can better carry out the mission that God has given to Riverstone Church. And this morning, I'm going to be painting this upcoming vision for this upcoming phase of ministry with very broad strokes. Not in details just yet, but I will be explaining just some detail. But in about November, we believe we'll be ready to lay out to the church family more detail, a lot more detail on what we believe this coming phase of ministry, maybe it's three years, maybe it's five years, is going to look like at Riverstone Church. But we're still working through some of the details. We don't think it's time yet. But what we looked at is given it's this summer, I want it to today, and then we're going to lay out in these coming three weeks just a foundation for the essentials of where we believe God is taking us. And then in November, we'll lay out what we would say are some of the plans. And some of those plans will probably lead us to having a congregational vote of approval on some of the things that we believe God is leading us into. And I will tell you, our leadership, and when I talk about our leadership, when I use the word elders, our pastors are elders, just as a reminder. But then so are the elders who are voted upon by the church family. And we come together as one board of elders as brothers in Christ, given the responsibility of leading and spiritually shepherding the church. And we have intensely been looking at where it is we believe God's leading us over the last four months. And as we look at phases in a church life, one phase is not better than another. One phase is not more important than another. As we look back, at, and I've been here 11 years, the church has been here a lot longer than I have, and God has done incredible ministry and working in the life of this church. You know, it's been Bible Fellowship Church for most of the years. It's only been in the last three or so that we've been Riverstone Church. And God has inc accomplished incredible work. But what we look at is as each of these phases that God has taken the church through, each one is filled with joys. They're filled with struggles. They're filled with stories of God's transforming light work in the lives of people. They're filled with amazing stories of the Spirit of God's working within us and through us here and around the world. So I think when you look at these phases of ministry, it's really important as we look backward to celebrate what God has done through this church over the years. But I think it's also equally important that we look forward and that we fully embrace the future that we believe God is leading us into so we can carry out that mission of the church. I want to um, give you, just explain, especially for those of you who haven't been here long, we identified, and looking back at the phases, um, I can still remember back 2008, for those of you who don't know, um, Pastor Tom and I were installed together the same day as permanent pastors here at Riverstone Church. And, um, you know, one of the things as we go through this as well is to remember, you know, Tom is part-time on our church staff as our teaching pastor, but he's full-time down at Cairn University. Um, you know, Tom doesn't even have an office here at Riverstone Church. It's a very different leadership model that we have at Riverstone. We entered into that back in 2008. Um, we had a time of mission and vision clarification that we went through and um, can still remember doing that in our old Woodside room, for those of you who can remember that. Uh, a lot of re leadership alignment and restructuring. You know, I think what happened was there was a phase of growth in those early years that the church went through. And as the church was growing, I remember sharing from the pulpit one day and saying that, you know, I think what's happened was God has brought more people to this church than we are able to effectively make disciples of. Because you see, as churches grow, churches have to change because to be able to effectively make disciples of the people that God is bringing, you have to intentionally do things to make that happen. Um, you know, I hate to refer to the word downstairs because it almost sounds like we're relegating the kids to the basement. I should say down on the main floor of the church, um, God is doing an exciting ministry and work in the lives of kids. And I'm looking back at that time in that towards that period there, God brought Janet Miller and Kim Rhodes to the church staff because we were drawing a lot of younger people and the number of kids was really growing up. 
And um, I remember that phase going through that. Our constitution as a church was written when there were 30 people attending Bible Fellowship Church. And next thing you know, we had hundreds of people coming to the church. And we realized, wow, we need to change some of the things in the Constitution. Um, we also had one adult classroom. It was the old Woodside room out here. And that was the only adult classroom in the church. And we all of a sudden got the idea. We purchased those classrooms that are out on the boardwalk. If you were here, we bought them for a dollar each from Council Rock South School District. But then the problem was we had to get them here. And then we had to paint them and carpet them and put you know, out new roof and new siding, new windows. But, um, and then we built the boardwalk to tie it all together. Um, but we added classrooms. Why? So gospel-centered ministry could take place here at the church. Um, we ran out of parking. I can remember days we, I would, people would come in and tell me, Bob, they're pulling in one end, they're going through the parking lot, they're not finding any spots, and they're just leaving. And that was sad to hear. Well, we couldn't add a parking space at the time. You know some of those stories if you were here. So we bought buses and we started a parking shuttle down at the school. And um, the Peru Ministry Initiative was, um, well, that was exciting. For those of you who weren't here, we teamed up with a church down in Peru, um, El Camino Church in Arequipa. We purchased land and um, outside in a growing area outside of the city. And now there's, a, even to this day, there's an evangelistic ministry center that's doing incredible work every day of the week. They've got a, day, a, a daycare program going on. They're teaching women skills and crafts so that they can raise up their family. And then on Sundays, they're having gospel-centered ministry to kids every Sunday. And that was part of what we did as a ministry plan. There was a lot of other things that took place in those years, but, you know, just to highlight them. And then we felt that we went through a new phase of ministry. Oops. That um, in around 2014, um, I mentioned the church had experienced growth. And if you look at this, this is a lot of pastors and directors that were added to the church staff. Pastor John, Pastor Austin, Pastor Jeremy, Benjamin, and just about seven months ago, Jeff Eubank as our director of operations. And um, these were all intentional on our part to say we need to raise up the staff because we don't, our view is you don't hire staff to do the work that volunteers can do. You hire staff to equip people to use their gifts in the ministry for the sake of the gospel. So we went through that. We went through some significant administrative staff restructuring. Um, churches grow, the workload increases. Who gets to do it? And we have a wonderful administrative team that that's been um, kind of restructured. Um, you all saw what happened with this facility. I just, um, about a week ago, went out to um, lunch with a pastor in the area, a church that's really grown a lot. And um, we got together for lunch, and they're in the middle of a facility expansion project. Big, big construction project. And he took me on a tour of it as we were going around. And I couldn't help but thinking inside the whole time, Thank you, Lord, that it's not us, because <laughs> um, it was a lot, and we're thrilled that we have it, but we're also thrilled to be on the other side of it. Um, change the name of the church. Um, we changed it from Bible Fellowship because there's a denomination that's centered in Allentown, Pennsylvania, that has dozens and dozens and dozens of churches through Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Delaware, and it got really confusing, so we became Riverstone Church. Um, we started a, a, a Middle East ministry initiative that God's doing great things about. And in, in November, I will tell you, some of the things you're going to hear, that's going to be part of it because God is expanding that ministry and using it in a great way. Um, we investigated the surrounding property. It took a lot of time. And um, God closed the door, so we got his answer. But that just shows you a little bit of what happened in that phase going from there. We believe that we are at a place right now that God is calling us to move forward into a new phase of ministry. And I tell you, our leadership, um, I wouldn't even just say we're excited, we're passionate about where God is going to lead this church. Um, I wanted to know so much so that um, I asked Sean Wagner as the chairman of our elders, and two months ago, I asked Sean to dismiss all of the pastors from the end of the board meeting. And I said to Sean, I said, Sean, we want to know, are the elders, the, the non-pastoral elders, are they passionate about this? Do they own it? 
I said, let them talk without any of our pastoral staff sitting in the room. And before we take any of this and start building it to where we're going to bring it to the church family in a couple months, probably in about November. And um, not only did they say that they were passionate, but they were just, they said, we have to be, keep this going forward, that they were that excited. So that's why we felt, you know what, let's take this to the church family and lay a base foundation for where we think God's going. And we came up with one sentence to say, we believe this is what this phase is going to be all about. Strengthening evangelism and discipleship that results in maturing disciples and multiplying churches. Now, as you look at that, there's some key words in there. One is evangelism. Another is discipleship. I will tell you, healthy churches are strong in evangelism and discipleship. And as we look forward, we're saying there are those, those are the areas that we want to concentrate as we go forward. And it results in maturing disciples who are growing in the Word of God, growing in their relationship with Jesus Christ, seeing themselves as disciple makers. And then one of the new things that's never been part of our church history at this church yet is multiplying churches. And we believe that this is the future that God is calling us into. And as we look at Scripture, and we're, today we're going to take a look at the book of Acts, right from the start of the church, evangelism, discipleship, and multiplying of churches was at the heart of the church ministry. So we're looking forward to where God's going to take us. We're going to jump into the book of Acts. I'm going to ask if our ushers, if you would distribute Bibles right now. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, raise your hand. I will put it up on the screen behind me. And if, um, if you don't have one at home, you can take this home with you. And um, before I get started, what I'll share is that um, as we, we're going to go to Acts chapter 14, verse 21. And in chapter 13 and into the first part of Acts chapter 14, Paul, the Apostle Paul, was preaching the Word of God. And he was in the city of, of Lystra. And as he was in that city, the people took Paul because of preaching the gospel, they dragged him out of the city and they stoned him outside of the city. And it says here that Paul was stoned and left for dead. And what's amazing is it goes on and says next, he got up and went back into the city. Now, think about that. Here was Paul preaching the word of God in this city, evangelizing for the sake of the gospel. They stone him. They leave him for dead. His injuries must have been that bad that they thought he was either dead or dying. So the, the people that stoned him go back into the city. And what does Paul do? He gets up, he brushes himself off, and he goes back into the city and starts preaching Christ again. You see, this is, where we, this is right before where we're going to pick up today. And then in chapter 14, verse 20, it says that the next day he and Barnabas left for Derby. And that's where we're going to pick up in verse 21 with Paul and Barnabas in the city of Derby. I'm going to put it on the screen and um, you'll be able to see we're picking up in verse 21. After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They passed through Pisidia and came into Pamphylia. When they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From there they sailed to Antioch, from which they had been commended to the grace of God. For the work that they had accomplished. When they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a long time with the disciples. See, in the, what we just read, Antioch was Paul and Barnabas' home church at this time. Um, and Antioch understood this concept of what it means to be a multiplying church because Antioch was a sending church. They sent Paul and Barnabas out to be missionaries 
And what we see is as we look at the book of Acts and then we look at this passage in particular, it's going to take us to the first point that I want you to remember this morning. Multiplying churches are sending churches. See, that concept of sending has to be central and in the core of who a church is if we're going to be a healthy multiplying church. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, let's look at how Antioch sent out Paul and Barnabas. It says in verse 26, and I'll put that back on the screen. It says here in verse 26, they sailed back to, Bar- to Antioch where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. You see, the church in Antioch had previously accepted the role of being a sending church for Paul and Barnabas. And what I think what happened here was the church in Antioch looked out into the regions around them and they recognized there are regions that don't even have a gospel-preaching, Bible-teaching church and they had a passion for seeing those people come to faith in Jesus Christ. So the church in Antioch took Paul and Barnabas, prayed over them, and sent them out to proclaim the gospel message of Jesus Christ in the areas around them. And, and it says, you know, I think if you look back at that church, when they sent Paul and Barnabas, they sent, I can guarantee you, they sent two of their best. See, Paul and Barnabas would have made great elders. They would have made great Sunday school teachers. They would have made great small group leaders. But the church in Antioch said, Man, we want to see those people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are going to send two of our best out to make disciples beyond the walls of our own church. I can remember, I was um, seven years, I was a pastor in Doylestown, PA. And in the seven years, I was blessed to have been part of, we planted two churches while I was there in those seven years. Um, One of them is in the area up in New um, New Hope Community Church today. And um, when we sent those churches out, I mean, the, the planted those churches, we would stand up in the pulpit and we would talk about, hey, we're planting this church and we want you to pray about it. Is God calling on you to go? You know, see, and we would talk about how the church in Acts would, would raise up and send out disciple makers. And, and we would ask our people to pray about going with the church plant. And we were passionate encouraging that. But I also can remember sitting in my office and somebody would come in my office, an individual or a couple, and they'd come in all excited. and They'd be like, Pastor Bob, we've been praying about it, and we're going to go with the church plant. And outwardly, I'm like, yes, that is awesome. And inwardly, I was thinking, I didn't expect you to go. Who's going to lead Wednesday night kids clubs? You know, who's going to, we just made you an elder. And, um, but you saw, then as I looked inside myself quickly, it was like, okay, Lord, you're calling on me to let go, and for us to be ascending church. And you see, that's what a healthy church does, is it's willing to send their best, knowing that God is in control and we can let go. And you see, there's other ways that churches send as well, but I want to look too. If you notice, when this Antioch church sent Paul and Barnabas, one of the keys to be a healthy sending church is to stay in relationship with those you send. You see, they prayed for Paul and Barnabas. They prayed over them when they sent them out. They were there for accountability. Look at the Apostle Paul. It's it's not shared here, but in other places in Scripture, where did Paul go when he ran into trouble in the mission field? He went back to the church that sent him, the Jerusalem church, for example, and he went to the elders of the church and sought their wisdom and counsel. And then Paul humbly submitted to the elders of the church in his ministry. You see, healthy sending churches stay engaged with those they send out, and they take that call to be a sending church very seriously. And we see it just played out here in the, ch- in the church in Antioch. And um, you know what, folks? I believe God's going to call on us to do that as well. There's other, ways, there's, there's other ways that churches send too. It doesn't only have to be missionaries internationally. It could be us here. Maybe God is calling you into a prison ministry. Maybe God is calling you with your special skills or whatever God has given you in your gifts to use them in a ministry outside of the walls of our church. And we need to let go and praise God. 
Maybe we have interns coming through Riverstone Church and we're sending them out when they graduate from places like Cairn into ministry roles in other places, but hopefully they've been raised up and trained and equipped in evangelism and discipleship so that we are strengthening churches around us and around the world. See, that's what ascending church does. About, um, uh, let me touch on a moment. I, I, in that statement I gave us, I said that strengthening evangelism and discipleship that results in maturing disciples and multiplying churches. What does church multiplication look like? Well, it could be a couple things. One, it could be church planting. It's probably the most common way we think about a new church being planted and starting. It could be going multi-site, which some churches choose to do, which is one church with multiple campuses in a geographic area under one set of elders, the same resources, but multiple campuses in the same church. Um, and it could be, and one of the ways we don't usually think about it, is in revitalizing struggling or dying churches and coming alongside and strengthening those churches in evangelism and discipleship so that we don't see the doors of another church closing. But I will tell you, there are times when a church should close its doors if the resources to restart it are way beyond what it would take to start something new. But church revitalization is a great ministry to see churches proclaiming the good news and the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Um, about five years ago, I got a phone call from the district superintendent of the Evangelical Free Church, which is our denomination, what we're part of, and he was telling me, he said, Bob, he said, there's a church in Plymouth Meeting, Pennsylvania that is really struggling, they're dying, and they came to the EFCA and said, we want to give you our building and just give you everything. And when I got that phone call, he said, Bob, you guys are the closest church to Plymouth Meeting. Can we give you the church for free if you would be willing, if, Rivers, if Bible Fellowship at the time would plant a church? And as tempting as that is, the reality was this came, remember phases I showed you there? It came like right between phase one and phase two. The only pastors and directors that were on our church staff at the time was myself and Tom and Janet Miller and Kim Rhodes. And Kim had just joined the staff team. And we looked around and we said, wait a minute, we don't even know who's going to be leading worship on Sunday. We don't know who's going to be leading the youth group this week. Um, we don't know who's overseeing our small groups ministries or these different, we saw these gaps and we realized that we had to say no because it takes a healthy church to plant a church. We didn't have the resources and as painful as it was, we had to say no. And I look now and I see this, the staff team, and I'm going to share a couple areas that I see that God has strengthened this church and prepared us for what is next. I look at the staff team that God has brought to this church in recent, in the last five years, and we see that we filled these positions with godly individuals. And I, I look and I see the people that are ready to, they're, they're, they specialize in different areas, and we are blessed with what God has brought here. We've restructured ourselves administratively to support the ministry of the church. You know, as, as directors, you, behind the scenes, you don't see Jeff Eubank much up here. But Jeff, to bring him in as director is a huge piece to be able to strengthen what goes forward. We, look what we did with the facility, folks. We have a facility now that can be used for the glory of God, and it took a lot to get this here. And I, I look, and I remember at that time, right around that time, going to pastor conferences uh, or national conferences. And I would go, and I'd, I'd listen to the conference all day, but what would happen when the conferences were over, and it would be maybe a multi-day conference, I'd look around and see different church staffs, maybe four, five, six, seven staff members, all from the same church, having dinner together and talking about what they heard during the daytime and talking about how they could go home and implement it into their church setting back home. And I would be sitting there by myself eating a taco all alone. And here we are today, and we have that kind of church staff. We have a church staff that I wouldn't trade for any staff in this country. I look at our elders. There were seasons where we had a very small elder board. And now all of a sudden, God has brought together these godly individuals, godly men, who fit the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 
as the qualifications for an elder who are committed to this church, who are leaders, who are willing to speak up and help to move this church forward as our spiritual shepherds. And I look at all of these resources that God has given us, and I can't help but think, and we as elders are saying this, we have a stewardship responsibility. What are we going to do with all that God has brought to this church? I mentioned that I was only going to paint in broad brushstrokes this morning, which is what I'm going to do. We'll give more details in a couple of months. But one thing I will share with you that's part of the ministry plan that we are putting together, and the reason we're not sharing the whole plan now, there are some details that we still need to work through. But one of the commitments that we've already made is that we are going to transition Pastor Austin to be our church planting pastor in Trenton, New Jersey. And we're, now most urban church planters are not full-time in church planting. They most have jobs to support themselves while they're doing it. Well, we are going to be Austin's part-time job. Um, he will remain on our church staff. He will um, probably put about 25 to 30% of his time into Riverstone Ministries leading our international ministry. But we're going to free up about 70 to 75% of Austin's time to see a church planted in South Trenton. Austin and Davia already live in the community. They, they, bought, they didn't buy, they're renting a house, but they live right there. They've been, what I would say is, we're using the word, Austin's been dabbling in church planting. He is so busy with his ministry here that, folks, if we don't do something significant, a church is not going to start over there. So we're going to free up Austin. And that is a big commitment for us at Riverstone Church. But you know what? When you look at urban church planting, this is one of the things I want to caution, caution us on. Urban church planting is very different from the traditional church planting model. When we planted a church from Doylestown to New Hope, those communities are very similar. We were able to send about 50, 60 people over to New Hope to start a new church. In the urban environment, I will tell you, I don't think we have 50 or 60 of us that would fit with inner city urban ministry. Let's look at our, our demographics here. But what we do have is Austin is very suited to the urban context. It's his background. He loves it. He loves living there. But urban churches tend to start small and from within. And disciples are made one by one in the community. And as disciples are made, a church forms. So it's not going to be like we're sending 20, 10, even 8 people over to Trenton. It's going to be a ministry that starts from within with the goal of seeing a church planted. It's exciting and we're really looking forward to it. So that is one of the pieces that will be coming up. But Back 2,000 years ago, the church in Antioch looked around and said, there are areas that need a gospel ministry presence. And we at Riverstone Church, there's already churches over in Trenton. They're spread around in different places. We want to work with those existing churches, but we see an incredible need for gospel ministry over in Trenton. And here's what I want to ask for you. Our goal is not to say, wow, we planted a church. See, our goal is for all of you to have a burden, to have a passion for the people in that community. It's really close, if you know where the, um, the baseball stadium is for the Trenton Thunder, it's across Route 29 in South Trenton. We want to see us have a growing passion for that community to know Jesus. So that's one of the big things that's coming up. And um, we see a tremendous opportunity. I mentioned today is not a typical expository sermon because I do have a couple stories and items I want to share. But um, over the past two years, our church has been blessed to come alongside of a church on the Southampton, Philadelphia border called Trinity International Church. Trinity International Church is an all-Pakistani church. Pastor Azar Alarm is the name of the pastor. We have gotten to develop a wonderful relationship with Azar. Now, I say it's all-Pakistani, but Azar's wife, Tracy, is from India. But it's an all-ethnic church, primarily almost probably 98% Pakistani. And Azar went into this ministry. He's a young man in his early, early to mid-30s. And in Trinity International had been led by a, an elderly, very traditional Pakistani pastor, preached in the full robes and the garb. And on Sunday mornings, till to this day, Azar preaches in three languages on Sunday morning, all in the same service. I don't know how he does it, 
But um, this, um, this elderly pastor, the people loved him. And several years ago, he died. And Ozer is a Cairn University graduate. He was a student of Pastor Tom's. That's how he made the connection. And Ozer was asked to come in and replace this pastor that had been there for decades. That's a challenging thing. So Ozer, you know, Pastor Tom did his, Ozer's wedding. Ozer came to us a couple years ago and asked us if we would help. I've been down there numerous times meeting with Ozer, with their elders, and they were really drawn to the Evangelical Free Church when they got to know us. So over the last two years, we walked Ozer and his elders through the process of applying, and this past October, they were accepted as a full-blown church in the Evangelical Free Church. But not only that, as we went through things, um, I took um, Shidju Jacob, one of our elders, I took Shidju down on several of the meetings I had with the elders. Tom's preached there a couple times. Um, Austin has preached there once and went down in a couple months ago and led an evangelism training seminar at the church. And if you have a copy of the current and you want to pull it out, you'll see on the front of the current, sharing our faith, evangelism training, Saturday, August 3rd, from 8.30 till noon, right here in this room. And we're doing this with Trinity International Church to help equip and train them in evangelism, but help to equip you in evangelism as well. And I even at one point in time um, took, uh, actually Tom McFarlane went down, our treasurer, and met with their treasurer to help them in church finances. It's just been a wonderful blessing between these. And what really convicted me, Austin went down, he preached there several months ago. And when Ozer introduced Austin to the church family that Sunday morning, he said, from our big sister church in Yardley, Pennsylvania. And folks, you didn't even know that we have a little sister Pakistani sibling. And our, I want to apologize for us not drawing you into this more, but going forward, we really do want to develop a relationship. And this is Riverstone using the resources that God has brought to our church to help another church. And it was wonderful to see what God did through this relationship. These are the kind of ways, other than, you know, yeah, we'll plant a church in Trenton, but there's other ways that God will help us in multiplying healthy churches around. Well, one of the things I mentioned is that I hope that this becomes part of our DNA, but what that means is that this concept of sending and going becomes part of who we are. And for you, the biggest resource, I mentioned we have our pastors, we have our elders, we have this facility. Other than the Holy Spirit, what is the most significant resource that we have as a church? It's all of you. You see, we have, not in the summertime, I say we have 600 disciple makers in here in the two services, but not in July. But um, we have about 600 attending our worship services. 600 disciple makers. Can you imagine what the Apostle Paul would have done with 600 disciple makers? Well, we have a stewardship responsibility, and it begins with you, to see yourself as a disciple maker as we have a kingdom impact on this community and what takes place within and outside of our campus. So this is um, key to some of the where we'll be going. Well, not only do we need to grow as a sending church, um, the next thing I would like to challenge us on is that multiple, multiplying churches must produce mature disciples. And I know I put that somewhere. There we go. And um, folks, this is something that's so important for us to remember, that God wants us to grow people in maturity in Christ. And it begins with growing in the Word of God. And two weeks, well, actually next week, Pastor Austin is going to be doing week two of this vision series. In the week after that, Pastor John will be sharing. And they both will be just revealing some of the things that we'll be doing. But growing you as mature disciples of Christ with the Word of God central to our maturity is core to us becoming the kind of church that God wants us to be. I'm not saying we're not there now. There's been a lot of this work over the years. But right now, one of the things I'm thrilled about, those first two years took up, I'd say, a lot of what we had to do were structural changes. 
you know, to the facility, to hiring, running search teams and all that. And as we're planning these last four months and we're looking at what this next phase looks like, I am praising God because the vast majority of it is gospel-centered ministry in the lives of people, whether it's here, whether it's Trenton, whether it's Syria, and all around. And that's, that's exciting to me, folks, and I hope you get excited about that as well. But as we go back, I want to look at the first two verses. In verses 21 and 22, at Paul and Barnabas' ministry, look at this, it says, After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples. Look, that's our mission statement, isn't it? And here's Paul and Barnabas, they made many disciples. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. They, here's Paul now. He's returning again to the city that just stoned him. Why? Because they made many disciples there. And they wanted to go back. And it says, why'd they go back? Strengthening the souls of the disciples. Encouraging them to continue in the faith. And saying through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. So as Paul and Barnabas went through the first time, they went through an evangelistic tour of these cities. And they were making many disciples. And then what they did was they made a return trip back. And what does the Word of God say? It says they went back strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true in the faith. See, that's what we need to do is to strengthen our disciples, encourage one another to remain true in the faith, to remain true to the Word of God and let it be central to our ministry here at Riverstone Church. But then notice in verse 23, they went back, they strengthened the churches, but before they moved on, what does it say they did? When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They went back and they appointed elders in each of these churches where disciples were forming. And one of the things we can learn from that is that elders are a very significant part of church ministry. And on September 30th, I'm sad over this, but I also rejoice over this. We're losing three of our governing elders because our elders that come in, not our pastors, but our elected elders, to three-year terms. And our Constitution says that they can serve two three-year terms back-to-back, six years, and then they have to come off of the board for at least a year, the governing board. They remain elders. But three of our elders, um, Andy Frank, George Van Loo, and Sean Wagner, have all served six years. It's amazing to me to look back and think it's already been six years. I have loved serving with these guys, but their terms are expiring. So this September at our annual meeting on September 22nd, we're gonna be recommending the names of two elders as nominees for you to vote on for approval. And those two elders are Don Cheney, who is an elder already, but he's been off of the governing board for a year, and Dave Faircloth. And we have spent a lot of time praying as a board, looking at these men through the eyes of 1 Timothy 3 and Titus for the qualifications, and we believe they meet the qualifications of elder, but it's, we hold up this position of elder as a significant thing. Now, what I want us to take a word of caution, elders, yes, they do governance, but the primary role of an elder to us at Riverstone Church is spiritual leadership as they look over the body as spiritual overseers and spiritual leaders in the church family. But as shepherds, they can't do it alone. And when I say they, I'm including our pastors because we're one, one, board of, one, one body of elders. You see, but not only can they not do it alone, we would not be following Scripture if we tried to do it alone. You see, the Bible doesn't call on the elders only to live out the one another's of Scripture, pray for one another, encourage one another. Who is supposed to do that? The disciples, and that is you. You see, as we take seriously the call to invest into the lives of one another and make disciples, that is what a healthy church looks like. And if we're going to become a multiplying church, it's so important that we're a healthy church. Because the reality is, when you think about it, when ducks reproduce, they make ducklings. When dogs reproduce, what do they make? Puppies. 
When dysfunctional churches reproduce, what do they make? Dysfunctional churches. When healthy churches reproduce, what do they make? Healthy churches. And you see, evangelism and discipleship is at the core of the ministry for us to be a healthy sending church. I want to put that back on the screen because I said we're painting in broad strokes. That is what we're going to unpack in November is that we are striving coming forward to be strengthening evangelism and discipleship that results in maturing disciples and multiplying churches. I want to ask you as we close, it's always good to end a sermon asking you for something. You see, as you look around this room, and granted it is summertime, but we have chairs available come September, I want you to start praying. Who is God going to lead to fill these chairs, to hear the gospel, to come to faith in Jesus Christ, and to be part as a, of this body as a growing disciple? Let's be praying. We can look around and say, Lord, fill these chairs with people that need Jesus. Downstairs in our kids' ministries, who are going to be those kids that come in and fill those classrooms that we just made room for over the last couple-year expansion project? Let's start praying for Trenton. Lord, we don't know their names yet, but we pray that you make disciples in and through us over at Trenton. And Lord, we're praying for them right now, even though we don't know their names. Austin's going to be sharing some things about the Middle East and Syria. Let's start praying for the disciples on the other side of the ocean. We don't know their names, but that God is going to be leading to faith in Jesus Christ. See, God has a great future for us, but we're inviting you to start praying now and pray for wisdom for us as elders as we work out some of the final details of our ministry plan because there are some big questions that we're working towards as a board. So we invite you, join us. It's not our church, it's Christ's church. And it belongs to you just as much as it belongs to the elders. We're in this together with Christ as the head. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege that it is to be part of your church. I pray that you would lead us and guide us forward. Father, I pray that we would never get ahead of you. I pray that we would follow you each and every step of the way. Lord, that's going to take prayer. That's going to take fasting. It's going to take obedience. And Father, give us the eyes to see where you're leading. And Lord, give us the faith to follow. Lord, strengthen us. Strengthen our faith where it's weak. And Lord, give us boldness to proclaim Christ and to reach out beyond ourselves for the glory of God. Amen.